0: Helping talent development thrive in the workplace. Why aren't these young people stepping up to the mark? Asked a C-level executive as we discuss the problems of talent development and leadership succession. As if it's a problem of the younger generation, most notably Gen Y. But it's not a generational issue. Performance in the typical workplace is at least 20% lower than it could easily be. You could easily raise performance by 20% with a few simple tweaks to your environment. But you're wasting your budget on talent development if you don't get a few other things fixed first. The information in this podcast is critical to your well-being your success, your business and your health, but you will probably not make it to the end. At least not without interruptions and multiple distractions. While listening, you'll receive at least 5 to 15 emails, one or two phone calls, 3 to 25 instant or text messages and a colleague or two may pop by for a quick chat. You may visit a website and get distracted, though I do promise to keep this interesting enough How many hours a day do you spend doing email? Then you'll try doing other tasks, with some success or not as the day appears to dictate. A 2005 study showed that the typical knowledge workers allow distractions to eat up 25% of the working day. But they spend 11 minutes on a task before distraction and it then takes 25 minutes to return to the original task. Whatever your job title, you probably spend a large proportion of your time using your computer. Of course, you may divide that time between a tablet, a smartphone, and a computer, but it is all screen working for want of a better phrase. We could harp back to the good old days when a computer filled an entire floor of the building and was used by strange looking science types wearing white coats, and the secretarial pool spent most of their time typing carbon copies or cleaning the Stetner machine ink from their hands. Those days when sending a file to someone involved boarding a train or licking a stamp. When a telephone on your desk was a mark of prestige and seniority. But it's not the 1960s. We have incredible technology designed to enable instant communication. Smart, colourful, bright, open offices filled with a buzz of chatter, air conditioning, beeps, rings and whirrings, and dynamic young executives looking pale and exhausted. Buds in ear, heads down and carpal tunnel syndrome shooting tiny spasms of pain to an already overloaded brain. Did someone forget that we are human beings? People now switch activities every three minutes. All of these distractions and activity switching consume a huge amount of energy in your brain. And your thinking brain is magnificently limited. Your brain is a wonderful and incredibly complex thing. It is magnificent when we consider just what human brains are capable of conceiving and doing. At the same time, it is limited. We are limited. The executive thinking part of your brain is the prefrontal cortex, or the PFC for short. This is where we understand, make decisions. Choose what to recall and what to memorise and it's also the place where we choose what to not think about. I like David Rock's analogy from his book Your Brain at Work. To think of your PFC as a theatre stage, external data from your senses is like actors coming in from the wings of the stage, while internal thoughts are like audience members climbing onto the stage. And there are two issues about the PFC. Which helps us to understand when we appreciate. Them. The PFC stage is small, enabling us to have three or maybe four actors on stage at a time only. And, like a theatre requiring massive floodlighting, the PFC consumes a huge amount of energy that is rapidly depleted. To really concentrate on something means that they need to take centre stage and be brightly lit. Meanwhile, your senses are bombarded with data from the outside world, with its actors flitting across the stage, vying for attention, and to distract you from holding on to that thought, burning energy. Some audience members climb on stage, similarly seeking the limelight as your internal world reminds you of things you should have done need to do, or what you might be planning for later in the day. Some of your internal thoughts and much of the external data you can ignore as unimportant, but novelty might be a threat, and your anterior cingulate cortex is constantly scanning the information, external and internal, for novelty. Anything unexpected, and novelty gets attention, push straight onto centre stage. Whatever you were trying to concentrate on gets sidelined or even pushed off stage and into the audience where it must await a chance to climb back up, get into character again and play its part. George A. Miller ran a study and it's probably the most widely accepted even though it's wrong. He believed that the number of items we can hold in working memory on stage of the PFC is seven seven numbers, seven words. But even then, if the numbers are long or the words complex or in an unknown language, the number is significantly reduced. Nelson Cowan at the University of Missouri-Columbia in a 2001 study posits that the number of actors is more likely four. Brian McElvery at New York University suggests that it is just one. So let's talk about the multitasking myth. I can't the number of times I've heard managers trot out the try phrase, they'd just get more done if they learnt how to multitask properly. Sure, you can drive your car and talk at the same time. True, you can continue walking and texting simultaneously and many other examples besides, but can you do two cognitive tasks simultaneously? Let's have a little play, shall we? As you continue listening to the next part please place a phone call to your best friend and ask them about their day, listening attentively to their response in one ear and me in the other. Ready? Call them now, and when they answer, just carry on. In the 1980s, Harold Pashler experimented using two cognitive tasks at once and showed that the participant's capacity drops, from that of a Harvard MBA to an 8 year old When experimenting with one physical task and one mental task, performance on both was reduced by 20%. But with two cognitive tasks, it dropped by 50%. Why is this so? Because the physical task would require little from the PFC, as most of it is routine. Something that your basal ganglia look after. Though, there is a constant reporting stream going to the PFC to inform you that everything is Under control. Whereas two cognitive tasks require activity on your small PFC stage, like two actors shoving and pushing each other out of the way, determined to be the one speaking. Oh, are you back with me again? How was the experiment? Did you successfully listen in one ear and understand what I just spoke of? and communicate with your best friend. Could you actually do both simultaneously? If you tried to do this on your mobile device, you probably found that the phone call interrupted the podcast. And it's designed to do that because you cannot do both simultaneously. A few of you are going to be stubborn and say, yes, I did it perfectly. Sure, stop for a while and ask your friend. Back in 1998, Linda Stone, a former vice president at Microsoft, coined the phrase continuous partial attention, a state where we keep a top-level item in focus whilst continuously scanning the periphery for anything more important, a state that leads to constant and intense mental exhaustion. In the 15 years since then, we're not just doing that, we're keeping a wary ear out for the subtle beep or vibration of our phone, a little notification on the screen ahead of us informing us of that ever so much more important, vital message from Will, I don't know, but I just have to check just in case it's important. And do you know, texting makes you dumb? A University of London study for HP showed constant emailing and texting reduced IQ score by 10 points. equivalent of losing a night's sleep and three times worse than smoking cannabis. Glenn Wilson who conducted the study described the problem as infomania and also finding that one in five workers would answer emails or texts during a meal or social engagement while two-thirds admitted to checking emails outside of office hours or whilst on holiday. My own unscientific study some nine years later in Singapore Revealed that it's more like 75% who will check messages during meals or social engagement. Indeed, I watched two young lovers dancing one night with phones in hand, texting other friends behind each other's backs. Such constant alertness increases allostatic load, a reading of stress hormones, and induces a feeling of constant crisis. Your PFC is burning energy and you need a glucose top-up or rest interesting if you respond quickly to text or emails people will send you more issues to you to respond to regardless of your expertise to resolve them remember your anterior cingulate cortex activates for novelty and believe me responding quickly well that's pretty novel let's have another little play with your mind shall we try working on a complex issue and respond to someone asking where you went for lunch And how many interruptions to your reading and listening have you experienced? Hmm. Let's talk about open plan offices. Open plan offices are Satan's tool to hamper talent development. I suspect that most people listening to this want to increase their own productivity and more critically, the productivity of their team and organization. So why do so many organisations create offices that hamper productivity? Why are so many HR policies such as flexi-working, good intention, yet seriously flawed in execution? Perhaps the better question is not how do we increase productivity, rather it should be how do we create more value? RSA Animate has an excellent short video on reimagining work. Either now or later... Take nine minutes to watch that video available through the website page and watch this. and Allow your brain to absorb some key ideas. The trend for open plan offices started in Hamburg, Germany in the 1950s to facilitate the flow of communication and ideas. However, there is overwhelming evidence that it actually undermines the very things it was supposed to achieve. A University of Calgary study in 1997 found an oil company's new open plan office was disruptive, stressful, and cumbersome. And instead of feeling closer, co-workers felt distant, dissatisfied, and resentful. Productivity fell. A 2011 study by psychologist Matthew Davis found that open offices were damaging to the workers' attention spans, productivity, creative thinking, and satisfaction. Compared with standard offices, employees experienced more uncontrolled interactions, higher levels of stress and lower levels of concentration and motivation. A survey of 38,000 workers by David Craig found that interruptions by colleagues were detrimental to productivity and that the more senior the employee, the worse she fared. Open plan offices may even be detrimental to health with a 62% increase in absence. The noise of open plan offices reduces cognitive ability and is known to impair the ability to recall information or even do simple math. Another study at Cornell University shows an increase in the production of norepinephrine or adrenaline in open plan offices which reduces motivation and performance. You may be thinking that this is just some old fogey clamoring for his own office, that young people like open plan offices. After all, young people have been multitasking for most of their short careers, but no. A 2012 study found that conversation and even laughter noise in the office was just as distracting for those born after 1982, as those of us who were gainfully employed at the Meanwhile, physical barriers are closely linked to psychological privacy and that sense of privacy enhances job performance. So the notion that in an open plan office you can easily interrupt a colleague to share your brilliant idea, increases noise which increases stress hormone production, distracts you from whatever you were trying to concentrate on, with a 25 minute gap before you'll get back on task, is detrimental to your health. Impairs your cognitive ability, reduces the very creative thinking it was supposed to increase, and reduces productivity. And if the open plan office wasn't disruptive enough, the pinging of mobile phones, the computer monitor, an overheard conversation, an interruption by a colleague, mean we are unable to focus on the task at hand. The more it goes on, and the more frantically we try to multitask, the worse we actually become at screening out distractions, and we have to work more to achieve the same result. We don't need to focus. We need to not focus on the wrong things. If you were designing a new car, would you put the braking system inside the hot engine? Well, God did. The part of our brain where we inhibit thoughts is the ventrolateral prefrontal cortex, just behind your temples. Because our braking system is in the energy-hungry PFC, it only works well every now and again. And once you inhibit one thought, it's like the brake pads need replacing immediately because they're burnt out. Inhibiting another thought is more difficult. A third nearly impossible. This is what we laughingly call self-control. Though we do have some, we have about two-tenths of a second between the desire to do something and actually doing it, where we can choose to veto the action. The thought that triggered the desire, well, that happened three tenths of a second before the desire. Catch it if you can. The entire half second is called an action potential, starting from the initial brain signal to the desire to act to the action. It is all in the blink of an eye. So yes, you can choose to not be interrupted, to not be distracted, not to respond instantly to your smartphone ping, to ignore your colleague, to not notice that novel thing, but for how long can you not do all this? Let's help our own brains use the talents you have been so richly endowed. Get an office, an office with a door that closes. Choose one device to on at a time and turn the others off. Not mute, not vibro alert. Work on one task at a time and do it well. Plan and schedule time for social interactions, for chats with colleagues. Make time for lunch and get home on time. Let's have one last play with your mind before you go. You can improve your productivity by at least 20%. What will you do? Do the same in less time and enjoy more of that thing we call life? Or will you do more in the same time? I leave you with the actors on your stage to decide.